Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their insights and playing lessons. Join Chris every Tuesday night as he talks with the greats of the game. Tonight's show is sponsored by the French Lick Resort, the PGA Tour Superstore, the Bobby Jones Apparel Company, Ben Hogan Golf, Two Under, Taylor Made Golf, and Golf Pride. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. Thank you so much for allowing me and the show to be a part of your weekly golf content. want to start off this week by saying hello and thank you to one of our sponsors, the McLemore, which is a fantastic community resort and golf course just 35 minutes outside of Chattanooga, Tennessee on Lookout Mountain. And folks, go online to themclemore.com and McLemore is M-C-L-E-M-O-R-E. So themclemore.com, so you can see how beautiful and majestic the golf course is. It's co-designed by our good friends Bill Bergen and Reese Jones, and our friend Kip Henley said, Outside of Pebble Beach, it's the most beautiful 18th hole he's ever seen. See why he says that by checking out the course and the resort online at themaclemore.com. Okay, on to tonight, and my first guest is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Tonight, TP and I are going to talk about his new home winter course at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club down in Fort Myers, Florida. I also want to get his thoughts on Sergio Garcia's win over the weekend at the Sanderson Farms Championship while putting with his eyes closed. And we'll hear who Tom Patrick thinks is the all-time greatest player in PGA Tour history. Really looking forward to the conversation with TP. He'll join me in just a few minutes. Following him, I'm going to get a visit from Chip Beck. This is going to be Chip's first visit with me here on the show. So we'll hear about his amazing college career at the University of Georgia. We'll also talk about his first PGA Tour victory at the LA Open, plus hear about the 59 that he shot in the third round of the 1991 Las Vegas Invitational. Really looking forward to having Chip as part of the show. He'll join me about 25 minutes from now. Then we'll round out tonight's show with a return visit from Eastlake Golf Club's Director of Agronomy, Ralph Keppel. We'll hear about what it's like to not only be in charge of a golf course where they play the Tour Championship every year, but also the course that Bobby Jones grew up on. We'll hear about uh, what players actually try to seek Ralph out for his advice on how to play the course prior to the Tour Championship, plus the story of how back in 2009, Atlanta got about 12 inches of rain just a couple of weeks prior to the tournament, and the whole course was underwater. How they dealt with that. So really looking forward to catching up with Ralph. He'll join me about 45 minutes from now. So there you have it, folks. More great stories, tips, and information coming your way tonight on this edition of Next on the T. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. You guys know I always like to start off the show by saying hello to my friends Mitch and Matthew Lawrence and reminding you about their great golf shows. Mitch's podcast is called Talking Golf Getaways. He and his co-host Darren Bunch are going to let you know about the great places you can go stay and play around the U.S. and Canada. They also let you know about some of the hidden gem courses that you might not be aware of. You can stream their podcast over on GolfTripX.com. It's also available on Audioboom, Stitcher, and Player.fm. If you love golf and travel, their show needs to be at the top of your must-listen-to list, folks. They do an outstanding job, and the show is a lot of fun as well. Matthew's show is called Backspin Golf. It's my regular Sunday morning, 8.03 a.m. Eastern Tea Time. I try never to miss an episode. 
If I do, it's fantastic to know that the show can also be heard as a podcast later on. If you go online to WLXG.com, that's ESPN Radio in Lexington, Kentucky. Matthew's show is fantastic because he's a fantastic host, and he also has a lot of great guests, including our good friend Perry French at the top of the show every week. Again, you can stream it by going online to WLXG.com or downloading the WLXG app. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by our friends over at TaylorMade and the TP5 and TP5X golf balls, played by Dustin Johnson, John Rahm, Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, and Jason Day. It's the hottest tour ball in golf. Now, I know you know those names, but thousands of other golfers have already made the switch to TaylorMade TP5 and TP5X. It's also available in high-visibility yellow, and you guys know how much I love the yellow ball. Are you the next to make the switch? Check it out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. All right, now here to kick off the show is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. You can visit him and improve your game this winter at his new indoor facility, which has all the latest gadgets and technology at his home down in Naples, Florida. We no longer need to wonder where in the world Tom Patry is each week because he is back home in Naples, much to the chagrin, I'm sure, of Mrs. Patry. Next week, he begins work at his new winter home course at Crown Colony Golf and Country Club in Fort Myers, spring training home of the Boston Red Sox. If you won't be anywhere near the west coast of Florida but still want to get lessons from one of the all-time great instructors, you can download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing, and he'll respond back to you with all kinds of great content about how you can fix your swing. Or you can send him a question on his website, TomPatry.com, where you can also subscribe to his newsletter. Tom is also a member of the Titleist Leadership Advisory Board. Has his own show Thursday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Instagram Live with some really wonderful guests. Last week, Billy Harmon was absolutely outstanding, and so was Tom as the host. And today is Tom's birthday. Happy birthday, TP. Christy Boyne. <laughs> Happy birthday, my boy. What are you, what, 72, 73, or is that just your swing speed now? I can't remember. Oh, that's very cute, Chris. That's very cute. Chris, I'm, I'm, 62, I'm 62 today. I look like 26. And, and of I course you do. You know, I'm swinging the day over 30. So let, let's, get, you know, let's get right to it here. Let's go. <laughs> Now, I mean, the biggest question to me is, what the hell are you doing on the radio with me tonight on your birthday? You should be out. Someone should be doing something special for Tom Patrick. I mean, me, he's one of the greats of all time. You, let, me, let, me, let me just tell you how much I think of you. Not only is it my birthday tonight, and right now at 8 o'clock when you drag me on this show, the Yankees are about to play the Rays the second game of the series, Okay. And and it's kind of like where's Waldo, where's Boston right now? Okay, just just keep that in mind. So how much do I love you to not be in front of the TV right now for the opening swing, and and, and on my birthday? I mean that that's got to tell you something about our relationship, does it not? Come on. It does absolutely. And go Rays, by the way. Hopefully they can get get the three straight wins and get this ridiculousness kiss, over with. But kiss, yeah, kiss, hey, I appreciate kiss, you, Tom. Kiss, kiss, kiss my what? I'm sorry. What'd you say? <laughs> 
<laughs> ah, you're the best, my friend. I'm, I'm so honored that uh, that you would think enough of me to I be here you. on I your love birthday. You. I love you. Uh, right back at you, my friend. All right, so let's let, let's get into a little bit. And I want to talk uh, about your new uh, winter home course there at uh, at Crown Colony in Fort Myers because I, I went out on the website and uh, did the flyovers uh, for the golf course and, and, and hey. Beautiful looking place, typical Florida looking golf course. Um, tell me your your uh, your thoughts as uh, you get ready to uh, take up residency there over the winter. Well, thanks, Chris. I, yeah, I'm, I'm, first of all, I'm really excited about about this opportunity. I, I uh, you know I I got approached for the job while I was on the road this summer and and kind of through an interview process, you know, took the job sight unseen, hadn't been on the facility. Obviously, did my due diligence and called a bunch of guys and got their thoughts about the club and about the facility and about the golf course, and it was all thumbs up. So I, you know, I went ahead and we, we came to an agreement, and I'm, and I'm really, really happy I'm there. Especially happy now since I now visited the facility this week for the first time. I start October 15th, but I, uh, I went up this week. I met with the board, just a great group of people. Um, Dave Kent, the GM there, is a, is a wonderful guy who really initiated this process. Uh, and, I, and I got to ride the complete golf course uh, in the morning, and I went and played nine holes in the afternoon just to get a feel for it myself. And my first impression, Chris, is man, it's not—it's not an easy golf course. It's a—you know—it's built through a, a series of estuaries and, and, and really natural-looking areas that they've carved out. Um, it's a, it's a really difficult driving golf course. I mean, you've got to drive the golf ball, uh, you know, pretty pretty darn straight. Um, it's it's not an easy golf course, and and uh, and I I you know played on a relatively calm day, so I can't even imagine, you know, if we get some winter wind down here, you know what it's going to be like. But you, you've got to be able to control your golf ball. You're not going to have a very pleasant experience. It, it's a really good test. So I'm really happy about that. The practice facility is beautiful. Um, they're actually building uh, a private back tee for me as we speak, which I, I didn't even ask for, which just tells them, tells me, you know, their commitment to me. So I'm really happy about that. And they want to actually get my thoughts on expanding that area back there into a more complete, uh, private practice area with a short game area eventually in the next year or two. So, uh, thumbs up, um, really looks good. I'm excited about it and it, and it should be a heck of a winner. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, as I was looking at the golf course, Tom, and I know, you know, a couple of my buddies would be out of golf balls by the time they got to the par five, six hole. And, and I'm sure some of those screened in porches would have a little extra golf ball size hole in them, but um, you go all the way into the back nine. I mean, the 10th hole has got a continuous bunker all down the right-hand side, 11th hole with the bunkers down the left-hand side. It's got an Island green. Um, yeah. It's a pretty impressive golf course. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, more of your impressions as you get an opportunity to spend more time. But uh, kudos to uh, to Crown Colony for what they've put together there. Well, thanks, Chris. And, and, and as, as always, I'm going to make this offering as I do at the beginning of every winter, and I get waved off on this thing uh, in typical Boston Red Sox fashion. But I'd like to have <laughs> you come down and play golf with me this winter and, and, and spend a couple of days and enjoy the place. Maybe we can do a live broadcast from Crown Colony together. Ah, I love the idea. I'll see what I can do, my friend. Yeah. It sounds fantastic. Let's make it happen. All right. All right, so moving on a little bit, I want to get your thoughts on uh, on Sergio Garcia and what we saw from him this past weekend at the Sanderson Farms Championship. We learned that Sergio yeah. has started putting with his eyes closed. And, you know, look, I've heard of guys looking at the hole the whole, t- the whole time when they're putting. 
I've never heard of somebody closing their eyes when they're putting. Your thoughts on what you saw from Sergio? Well, it's interesting you say that, Chris, because two of the things that I, I've done in my own career when I was still playing, uh, two of the drills I did was putt looking at the hole and, and putt with my eyes closed. I've, I've also played a tournament or two with my eyes closed way back when. And usually we do that with guys, and I did it with myself, when you know I, I, I found myself looking at my backstroke or trying to look at my stroke during the action or getting, you know, getting um, non-target oriented. So, you know, we, you know, you always want to be target oriented when you play the game of golf. It is a target game. It's not a ball game. Sometimes we confuse that. So I've, I've done that myself and with success. And I still use that drill with a lot of my students. So uh, although maybe some of the golf world thought it was unusual, uh, I'm sure he clearly went to that because, you know, he found himself getting a little bit too much ball bound or, or mechanically oriented and wanted to free up things a little bit. So it didn't really surprise me. And by the way, it putted beautifully. Uh, but the thing that really impressed me, I, I turned it on. So I got to watch the back nine on Sunday, which uh, it's rare because I'm, I'm you know, not working right now. Thank goodness I got a little break here. And I watched the back nine. But the, the way he played 18, a 482-yard par four, drive it down there beautifully and just absolutely flag it you know, to, to a foot or two, I mean, was, was pretty damn impressive, if you ask me. So let's extrapolate out for Sergio's career, Tom, because uh, one of the things I heard today, guys talking on the radio about Sergio's career, is that um, he's a no-brainer Hall of Famer. Is he? So, Chris, I, you know, I did a little research. Because I, I, you know, you, you texted me earlier today and asked me about that as a question for tonight, potentially. And, um, you know, I've always been pretty impressed with his career, but after looking at some things, and I'm just going to, you know, read down a list of things I've written down here as notes, um, things I wasn't really sure about, especially not to this degree. Um, you know, he, he's, he's won 36 professional times. And I think, you know, one of the things we, we miss when we talk about the Hall of Fame is it's not called the Hall of Fame anymore. It's called the, the World Golf Hall of Fame. And as Americans, Sometimes we lose sight of what this guy did overseas. Now, he won 11 times in the PGA Tour, including, including the Players' Championship and the Masters. Okay, so, you know, a lot of us don't believe this yet, and I've always believed this. I think the Players' Championship is the fifth major. So if you, if you, if you have that belief, now you're thinking two majors, not one. Won 16 times in Europe, once in Japan, six times in Asia, one time in South Africa, one time in Australia, and five others. Um, and besides the Masters win, twice runner-up in the PGA Championship, tied for third at the U.S. Open, and twice runner-up in the Open Championship. He was the Rookie of the Year on the European Tour. He won the Varden Trophy here in 2008, which I had forgotten, and he was the European Tour Player of the Year in 2017. Aside from that, he's played on eight of the nine last Ryder Cup teams for Europe, and he's amassed 25.5 points for that team, which is the highest of all time in Ryder Cup play. And 405 weeks of his career, he spent in the top 10 in the world ranking and was ranked as high as second one. So if that's not a pretty strong case for the World Golf Hall of Fame, and I know there are guys in there with a lot less accolades than that, then I think we just let Sergio in, and and it is kind of a no-brainer, if you ask me. Yeah, so I've sort of struggled with the idea, and you're right. I think, to me, what put him over top is everything he's done, to your point, as the World Golf Hall of Fame. Stuff he's done in Europe and other parts of the world. When you put when you put all the wins together, then I think it's it's definitely a Hall of Fame career. If you do just look at it, and you're right, I think some of the mistakes that we make 
here in America is we just think about the PGA Tour. And if you just think about 11 PGA Tour wins a Masters and a, and a Players, that's, that's good. I don't know if it's Hall of Fame worthy, but when you start racking up all of the other things, and then you, to your point, uh, maybe the cherry on top is, is how good he has been and the Ryder Cup. Yeah, that probably says you know Hall of Famer to me as well. So I tend to agree you with know, you. you know, good case. You know, Chris, my, my, my good friend, and you know, this, you know this, my good friend Fred Couples is in the World Golf Hall of Fame. And if you look at their, their American records only, and again, this is the World Golf Hall of Fame. We've got to keep that in mind now. It's not the American Golf Hall of Fame. It's the World Golf Hall of Fame. If you look at Sergio's career next to Freddie's, they're very, very similar. You know, Masters, uh, Tournament Players Championship, Freddie won two, he won one. Um, you know, very, you know, very, very distinguished Ryder Cup careers and, and you know, made a lot of different teams. Um, there are guys in there, like I said, with, with less than these guys have done. Um, so it would be pretty hard to turn your back on him considering that some of the guys that are in there, and I don't want to call anybody out that's less than, but it's a pretty impressive resume uh, and career for, you know, for the, for the globe, if you look around the globe. Yeah, and I th- I think where I get stuck a lot of times is is uh, I'm a big Hal Sutton fan, and uh, I believe Hal should be in the hall. And I guess you, you're right. We you start comparing guys that are in to guys that are out, and you take a look at Hal's career versus Freddie's career. And I know you know all about Fred's career, you know. But Hal is a guy that that uh, won 14 times. He uh, he won the 83 PGA, won two Players Championships, on the outside looking in. You know, and you, yeah, you tack on his Ryder Cups, and he was a Ryder Cup captain. So, I would have to look at you. I would have to agree with you on that. I think Sutton has to look, have a serious consideration here based on that record. I mean, that's that's a pretty damn strong career. And and I think sometimes with voting, and I and and I'm not going to call anybody out again, but it comes down to personalities and and you know too much likes and dislike on a personal level with some of these with some of these voters and some of these guys weren't really. Uh, coddled or very friendly to the press necessarily. And, and that, that's hurt him in the voting process. But, you know, I think Sutton, Sutton is, is a hall of famer. He, he deserves in too. Yeah. And he, you know, you throw in house and, you know, NCAA national championship and a U.S. Yeah. amateur on top of all of that. And yeah, I, uh, I struggle with that. Well, um, I Tom, that. I want to get your thoughts yeah. on, on golf clubs and, and make of, of our golf bags for, you know, for weekend hackers like me, Typically, you can get an iron set. It's going to have a four iron. It's going to have a five iron. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, that I'm good enough to hit a four iron. Uh, I'm okay with a five. But for, you know, students that you that you teach that uh, that aren't going to be out there playing four or five times a week, going to be playing once or twice a week, should we be looking at a at a makeup of our golf bags and take that four and five iron out and and have hybrids? What's your thought on the long irons versus hybrid debate? Well, it's funny that we, we, we call – first of all, it's funny that we call um, four and five irons long irons today because yeah, when, I, when I played the game, one and two irons were long irons, three iron was a long iron, and four and five irons and six irons were what we called mid irons. So the game's evolved just in that sense right there. And then the second thing you're wrong about, please don't refer to yourself any longer as a hacker. You're, you're, you're an established player with great skills, Chris. Let's keep that in mind, okay? So let's not do that to yourself, okay? You know, Show Chris a little love. <laughs> Appreciate yeah. you. Now, as we go from there, I remember when the hybrid first came out and, and we, we first hit the market and, and I hit them for the first time. I, my first impression 
my very first impression was it was like cheating. It was like, you know, this makes life so much easier. Because I was never, even in my college career and when I played for a living, I was never a really strong long iron player. Um, and when you put a hybrid in my hand, you know, that, you know, that 180 to 220 yard shot became much, much easier for me. Um, now my set makeup has evolved as well, but for the average player who doesn't have a high swing speed, who doesn't have the ability to hit the center of the face as often as they'd like to, they're crazy not to have hybrids in their golf bags. Now, where do we start? I mean, do we start at five iron? Do we start at six iron? Do we start at four iron? I think that comes down to personal preference and, you know, sitting down with a competent fitter and going through that process and determining that. Um, you, I think you really have to go through a really, you know, a really strong fit to really figure out where you want that breakoff point to be between where your iron set begins and ends and where your hybrid set begins and ends. But, I would I would highly recommend to the average recreational golfer that they look really hard at that uh, as long as they go through a really, really um, competent fitting process. Tom, I, I got to give you kudos, my friend, because I have thoroughly enjoyed your Instagram live show that you do Thursday nights, 8 o'clock p.m. Eastern time. Uh, in particular, this past week, you uh, you spent some time with Billy Harmon. Very insightful interview. The guy has had an, uh, an incredible, you know, career and incredible life, obviously, along with, with his father and his brothers. Um, I wanted you to share some of the stories, some of the things that uh, for those that didn't get to see the interview, what you learned and what we all learned about Billy Harmon and his career. Well, Chris, first of all, I got to go all the way back to the week before Billy had this really handsome guest on uh, Christmas Scarrow <laughs> and people got to see him. <laughs> For the first time, you know, they, they put a face with a voice, and that was probably like the highest rating, rated Instagram live show in the in the history of in the history of you know Instagram live. Period. So we we got to give him kudos too. But uh, in all seriousness, <laughs> Billy Harmon, in in all serious, Billy Harmon, who I've known for a lot of years, uh, is one of my all time favorites. Uh, obviously, for people who don't understand the connection. You know, brother of Butch, brother of Craig, brother of Vicky, who's passed away already, and son of 1948 Masters champion Claude Harmon. Billy is uh, is an incredibly gifted teacher, um, an, a, a passionate historian about the game of golf and how it's evolved. Uh, you know, through the tournament annals, um, a, a great storyteller. Um, and and a wonderful, wonderful human being. I mean, and I'm talking about a really good teacher. I mean. I wouldn't put Billy or Craig or Dickie when he was alive, and I, I'm sure Butch would echo this, behind Butch and their abilities. These guys are all talented uh, teachers and coaches of this game, and, and it's, a, it's a hell of a family in terms of DNA and information. Uh, Billy's had a lot of tragedy in his life as well, and he's come through it with flying colors. Uh, talked a little bit about his addiction problem that he overcame, which was a a really tough situation and openly talked about it and, and is, and has raised an, an incredible amount of money with his wife on the West coast for, for addicts and for addiction recovery and really put his heart and heart and soul into that, which, you know, it, it, you got to just love him for that. Uh, you know, went to a, uh, went through a very serious cancer bout uh, that he talked openly about too, and does a lot of work there as well and counsels people. Um, you know, he's a real, Billy's a giver. And, and talked a lot about those two aspects of his life. 
but then talked about his, you know, his life with his father and his brothers and, and, his, and, his, and growing up as a kid at Wingfoot. Uh, Claude was obviously the head professional at Wingfoot and at Seminole and later at Thunderbird in the desert. Um, and so many, we were around so many great players, you know, that came through that uh, were, were, were mentored by Claude, um, the father, through the years. So he's had exposure to some of the greatest in the game of golf, um, both through his dad and through his, you know, his, own, his own successes and his brother's successes. So the Harmon brothers are like walking, talking golf encyclopedias. And anybody that gets to spend time around any of the Harmons is blessed. And I've been really lucky. I knew Dickie when he was alive, and, and Craig's been very kind to me, as is Billy. And, and, and on the rare occasions I've got to spend time with Butch, it's, it's, always been, um, it's always been a helpful part of my career, to, say, to put it very mildly. So that was a great guest. I hope I have Billy back on again. Uh, I'm actually trying to get Billy out here this winter for a school at Crown Colony. We're hoping we can get that off the ground. Um, but Chris, you're right. He is a, he's, he's a, he's a, he's a, a golf treasure. And, and, and it's interesting. I think a, a lot of us know most of the Harmon brothers, but he spoke, um, you know, very warmly and about the relationship he had with with his brother Dickie. And I didn't know a whole lot about Dickie Harmon. Um, talk about what you learned about Dickie as, as a part of that family and and uh, the relationship he and Billy had. Dick, who I knew, um, and I told a story on air that night about the first time I met Dick was in the back of a. a a, uh, a transportation bus at a Titleist um, seminar up in up in a Cushnet or Fairhaven, Massachusetts, and I never met him before, but certainly got on this bus and recognized him. And, and being Tom Patrick, I positioned myself really close to, to Dickie and Craig back there, hoping I could get you know get a word in and speak to them a little bit. And not only did I do that, but they just once we started speaking, they kind of sat me down between them and, and uh, spent the day kind of sharing with me. Uh, Dickie was. Um, Dickie was the voice of reason in that family. I think uh, he was. He was, and I don't. I don't mean this. I don't mean this disparagingly at all. He was. He was a tough guy. He was a no nonsense, straightforward, and Butch is that way too. But Dickie was more that way. Dickie was a no nonsense, um, no BS. You know, you know, straight shooter, who told it like it was. And, and you had to appreciate that. You know, in, from a teaching and coaching standpoint. And, you know, mentored a lot of really fine players in the Houston area, including Fred Couples early on. Um, and Billy really looked up to Dick. Billy, Billy, uh, Billy had, you know, a warm spot in his heart for Dick because Dick was the guy who, when Billy was down, uh, was, you know, and I'm not saying the other two brothers were not because that's not true, but was really there for, for Dick, for Billy, excuse me, 24-7, 365. He, you know, he – he picked him up, you know, by his bootstraps and really stood him back up on his feet and told him he could, you know, overcome some things and he could do some things in his life that he didn't believe at the time. Um, so I think Billy has a very, very, very deep warm spot in his heart for his brother Dickie, who unfortunately left us way too early. TP, just a couple more before I let you go. And you know my next guest is Chip Beck. And you played with and against Chip in college. What do you remember about going head-to-head with Chip? Well, first of all, Chip Beck is a is an absolute gentleman. He he is um, maybe too good, too kind for his own good sometimes competitively. I think if he had a little bit more um, hard ass in him, he he would have done even better. But he is a he was a a great technician, uh, a great ball striker, um, a very 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 astute player, had a very high golf IQ, 
Um, I, I was paired with him several times in college. And then he lived here in Naples, Florida, because I don't even know that for a while. Uh, so I got to spend some time with him here as well after he retired. Um, you know, shot 59 on the PGA Tour, part of some Ryder Cup teams and situations. Um, but more than anything else, Chip Beck is an absolute gentleman, and he, he's just a just a, a, a kind, kind human being. And, and please give him my best. Uh, we miss him here in Naples. Uh, I miss spending time around him. He, he's a he's a class act. TP, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's coming to see you now in your studio there in Naples, Florida, obviously going to come see you at Crown Colony when uh, when you start there next week, but let everybody know how they can stay up to date with uh, all the things you're doing. Well, thanks, Chris. Most, most, more than anything else, I love to have people tune in on Thursday nights at 8 o'clock to my Instagram live show. Uh, they can follow me on Instagram to get all that information as it comes out. Um, certainly a couple of Facebook pages, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, and then the website is just simply TomPatry.com. And uh, I, I am available to teach non-members at Crown Colony uh, on an, based on availability basis. Uh, I even teach players as fine as you, Chris, if they came down to Florida out of the cold north. Um, but uh, more than anything else, Chris, uh, we should be saying thank you to Chris each week, not to Tom and not recognizing Tom, but uh, what Chris Mascaro does for golf and uh, the great exposure he provides to the recreational player out there on this show every week. And your, your guests your guest in your lineup is just incredible. And I'm, I'm just proud to be a very small part of your family, pal. Oh, I appreciate you, TB. You're the best, my friend. Um, enjoy the rest of your birthday night, by the way. And uh, I will certainly look forward to watching your show this Thursday night. Again, Instagram Live, 8 p.m. Eastern time. And then uh, having you back on the show in a couple weeks, my friend. I love you, pal. Tell, give, please, please give Chip my best. I really appreciate it if you would. I absolutely will do so. Take care, my friend. All Thanks, the best buddy. to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. Thanks, pal. That's a great Tom Patry. You don't come better than that, my friends. Uh, his instruction is uh, second to none. His uh, facilities now are going to be second to none. Now, you know, uh, from uh, listening to Tom earlier this year when he put a, a great deal of time and expense into building out that studio at his house, so you've got all the toys and gadgets available to you there. So if you're anywhere near Naples, Florida, and uh, you want to get uh, get in there and have TP help you out, check out his website, TomPatry.com, P-A-T-R-I. And uh, he's got uh, all his uh, contact information there. You can certainly reach out to him at TomPatry on social media as well. So lots of ways to get get in there and see TP there. And then at Crown Colony in, uh, in Fort Myers, he's going to be starting up there next week. So that uh, practice facility sounds promising. So looking forward to hearing all about that as well. All right, before I get to my next guest, Chip Peck, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at the Ben Hogan Golf Company. When Ben Hogan founded his company in 1953, his mission was to make the finest golf equipment in the world, and that remains their mission today. They forge every club they make to provide the feel and feedback investment clubs simply can't provide. And their craftsmen? micromanufacture each club to your exacting specifications in their Fort Worth, Texas factory. You'll only find Ben Hogan Golf Equipment online at BenHoganGolf.com. Visit them there today to learn about their great products and their great prices. also want to give a shout-out to our friends over at Golf Pride. In golf, light grip pressure releases power. Golf Pride engineered a secret the pros know. 
A larger lower hand encourages lighter pressure. Plus 4 technology is designed with four additional layers, which reduces tension in the lower hand to generate more power. Play Plus 4 and release the secret that pros know. Now available on Tour Velvet, the winningest grip on Tour. Grip confidence, grip golf pride. And folks, this segment of the show was sponsored by our friends at the PGA Tour Superstore. This segment of the show is brought to you by the PGA Tour Superstore. See why golfers everywhere are proud to call PGA Tour Superstore their golf pro shop. Visit them online at PGATourSuperstore.com. Now back to Chris and more of the show. All right, now joining me here on Next on the T is four-time winner on tour, Chip Beck. Let me give you some more background on Chip's incredible career. He's from Fayetteville, North Carolina. Played his college golf at the University of Georgia, where he had an amazing college golf career. He led it all four years he was there, from 1975 to 1978. He was a three-time All-American and named first-team All-American in 1977 and 78. He was team captain his last three seasons, helped them win the SEC championship in 1977 and 78. His 66 in the 1978 Dixie Tournament still ranks as one of the best rounds in Georgia golf history, as does his season average of 71.61 in the 1977-78 season. His 27 top 10 finishes is still number one all-time for the Bulldogs. He averaged eight top 10s for three straight seasons from 1975 to 78, and he won the Carolinas Amateur Championship in 1977 and 78. He won five times while he was at Georgia, including the Southern Intercollegiate Tournament three times and the All-American Tournament, plus that 1978 Dixie Tournament as well. Like I say, won four times on the PGA Tour at the 1988 LA Open by four strokes over Mac O'Grady. A couple months later at the USF&G Classic, this time he wins by seven strokes over Lanny Watkins. In 1990, he wins at the Buick Open by one stroke over Hale Irwin, Fuzzy Zeller, and Mike Donald. And in 1992, he won the Freeport Golf Classic by a stroke over Greg Norman and Mike Stanley. Chip famously shot 59 during the third round of the Las Vegas Invitational in 1991, finished runner-up at the U.S. Open in 1986 and 89, plus in the 1993 Masters. He was a member of three Ryder Cup teams, and I'm very excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Chip, thanks for coming on the show. I am, I am so thrilled to be here, but boy, you do your homework, don't you? <laughs> I try. I feel like, you know, it's my responsibility. If you're going to be kind enough to come on the show, I owe you that much. Wow, that that was great research. You know, today is actually the anniversary of shooting the 59, and we've had about 50 people or more go through and receive Chipbeck scholarships from the PGA Tour and the PGA of America, so... That's probably the nicest way to start the evening for me because that was one of the nicest things that ever happened to me. Yeah, no doubt. So, and, and I want to talk about there and you know, all of that in a minute. I want to first pass along, uh, you know, the best wishes from Tom Patry, who was my uh, previous guest, and uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, that I passed his best along to you. Thought very highly of you playing against in college. He, he's an amazing person. You know, I I remember doing a clinic with him and Tiger Woods when I was representing Buick and Tiger just came on with Buick at Westchester country club. And that was a lot of fun. He was always very complimentary and kind. And one of the things I remember about Tiger, he'd say, Chip, you're really working on this, aren't you? He'd point out I was working on certain. I said, how do you know that? 
He said, I can see it. I said, man, Tiger, you, you're, you're a lot sharper than I ever imagined because I, I thought I was pretty uh, secretive about what I was working on, but he was really pretty sharp. But Tom Patry was really a nice guy to help organize all those clinics for us. And, Chip, I want to start by going back to your days at the University of Georgia. Kind of curious, a kid from Fayetteville, North Carolina, how would you get away from UNC and Wake Forest, Southern, you know, Southern Carolina, all, all those schools to get yourself down to UGA? You know, my first choice was to go to the University of North Carolina because my dad went there. But that year, you know, it was a six-man golf team in college, but they cut scholarships to three. And so Carolina was they, – they had a lawyer for the coach, and he was saying, we're trying to get six guys with half scholarships. And I already had a full to Georgia. And I, I told my dad, I, said, I come from a large family of 10 children. I said, Dad, it made it pretty easy, didn't it? But it broke my heart, really. But uh, anyways, I, it was a great experience going to Georgia. I'd actually met the golf coach at the Future Masters down when I was in, in Dothan, Alabama, when I was 13 years old. So, and the, the fellow that took me around was from Fayetteville, North Carolina. His name was Jack Parks. All his sons are running Parks Building Supply now, but at the time, he'd drive me down to Dothan, Alabama from Fayetteville, and he was the most exciting person I'd ever been around, and so we had a great time. So he was the first guy to graduate with honors in less than three years from the University of Georgia while working his way through, so he was a very smart guy, and so I was thrilled to go to Georgia at the time after having met the coach and been involved with this Jack Park, so all works for the best. When I went in there, I was able to start up I was one or two on the golf team and I was able to play every match so it worked out great for me and Chip your roommate Tim Simpson has become a wonderful friend of the show he's one of my favorite guests really enjoy getting to spend time with Tim talk about uh, you know you two playing down there at the University of Georgia being roommates and what it was like hanging out with Tim Tim was so gifted as a player and he made it, he let me know when he came to Georgia. Hey, hey, look, guys, school, you can forget that. I'm playing golf. And uh, <laughs> that's what he intended to do, and that's what he did. And he was a really uh, – he had a, a great golf swing as far as hitting the golf ball. And I actually thought he was a great putter. He never claimed he was a good putter. But Tim's got a, a photographic memory, and – you can ask him things about me from college. I can't remember, but he's a great storyteller. So I've always enjoyed being around Tim. He's one of the funniest guys you'll ever meet, for sure. <laughs> so he, he's a, a no-nonsense kind of guy. I've always loved Tim for that. Yeah, he told me that uh, you're one of the finest humans he's ever known and wanted me to send his love your way as well. So I'm sure the feeling is very Wonderful. mutual. Wonderful. Love Tim. He he did things I wished I could do. You know, he was just an amazing uh, person. Straight, tough competitor. One of the toughest competitors I'd ever been around. And wasn't afraid of anybody. I asked Tim once, and I said, Tim, where would you become so tough? And uh, he said, Chip, I'll never forget it. I was playing quarterback at Woodward Academy. I got knocked out cold. And all of a sudden, I'm coming to, and all I can hear is, get up, you SOB. <laughs> he said, it's my mom yelling at me. <laughs> I, said, I can't believe it. He said, yeah, my mom was a lot tougher than I was. So, you know, he's a great storyteller. I, I can see why you love Tim. I love him too. 
Chip, thinking about all the things that you accomplished at the University of Georgia, and like I say, the list is long, and, and uh, I, I'm just curious, what's, if, if you think about your time there, any, any one thing stand out to you about the things that you were able to accomplish while you were there? You know, on the golf side, one of the nicest things that ever happened in my sophomore year, I won the All-America Tournament at a a Toscacito in Houston. That was the second largest tournament right backed up next to the uh, NCAA. And then the next thing that really meant a lot to me, I got the Coach's Award, and it had never been offered to a, a golfer in the history of the school where all the coaches vote on the best senior athlete of the year. And so I got the Coach's Award. But I, I got to tell you that they had a poor uh, football team that year, so <laughs> that's what happened. But it was quite an honor. <laughs> but I, I remember that because I, I loved it there. Let's um, move along to your time on the on the PGA Tour. And like I mentioned in your intro, you, you won four times. And the first coming at the 88 LA Open kind of – Thanks to a pair of 65s that you shot in the first and the third rounds that helped you to a four-shot win over Mac O'Grady. And plus, you know, a who's who on the PGA Tour at the time. You, When you look at those first two wins that you had, L.A., and, and I mean, you're beating guys by four strokes, by seven strokes. You really took command of a golf tournament and never looked back. Talk about that. Well, what was interesting about it, it took me 10 years to win on tour. And I don't know if you remember, but back when I first qualified for the tour in 1978, I didn't make a tournament until July of that year. I finished 15th on in, in the uh, Western Open and made about $1,400. And I actually played pretty well from there out and didn't even make $7,000. So we didn't really play for the money. And I, I'd get to Phoenix, and we'd have four golf courses, 150 players for one person at each course. So qualifying was really tough. It took Curtis Strange four years to get out on tour. And uh, like Tim Simpson, you know, he he went and played Asia. For, and he was playing Bangladesh. He was playing place, places that, uh, I mean, it, it was it's a scary world, you know, when you start going to places like Bangladesh and uh, carrying, you know, $10,000 of cash around. I've heard my friends tell stories that, I mean, they're getting sick from the food and the travel and, so yeah, we were. It was a it was a different ball game, but it took me ten years to get my confidence because I I I got where I literally lost my confidence like a lot of people coming out, you know. And people at that time they they weren't really concerned about who you were coming out. I mean, J C Sneed and I actually played with Sam Sneed in 1979 when he shot his age at the in Illinois at the Quad Cities Open. And I'll never forget it. He hit me on the shoulder after the first tee. He said, he cussed at me. He said, damn it, son, keep that ball in your stance. How are you going to play from there? I said, I said, what do you mean? So he's really kind of a funny guy, but I love Sam Snead after that because at that time, the, the senior tour really hadn't started, and so I was playing with a lot of the old-timers, and they would really help you. So that was the benefit. Like, you know, I would play with Trevino, and he'd say, Chip, you're the dumbest guy I've ever seen. You, you you tee the ball up in the middle of the tee, and you try to hit the middle of the fairway. He said, look at old Bucky over here. Buck Lee, I'll, I'll take that ball right side of the tee, aim at the left side. I'll cut it in that fairway. I got 30 yards to miss it into. He said, I'll beat you every time. So they, I learned a lot from those guys. Even Chichi Rodriguez, you know, he pulled me aside after we played this 
this uh, uh, course in Cromwell, uh, Connecticut. It was the shortest golf course we ever played on tour. And uh, he said, Chip, you're the worst wedge player I've ever seen. Get over here, son. Play that ball back in your stance. Chop down on it, and at least you'll get it on the green. So those guys wow. were so good to us because they were, you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s <laughs> even, like Sam, but they would help you. And I remember I learned a lot from those guys. And so unfortunately now with the senior tour and the way golf has developed, a lot of the 20-year-olds, they never get to play with some of their, their boyhood idols. You know, like I played with Nicholas when I was in my, my late 20s. I played with him in 84 when he won the, the, the uh, Memorial Tournament. You know, so he was, what, 44 years old. So it's pretty nice to play with guys that were, uh, you know, a lot better than you, and and they kind of blaze the trail for you. So I I love the tour. I wouldn't exchange it for anything because I met so many great players, you know, and I learned a lot from each and every one of them because they, they, they felt like it was almost like their duty to teach you. I remember J.C. Sneed, one of the nicest guys, but, you know, just a, a tough old farm boy, a great guy. He took me aside. He said, Chip, let me show you how to hit this two iron. You're going about it the wrong way. And I was at the Tucson Open there at the Tucson National. It was early on, like, right early in my career. And actually, Tim Simpson was really good friends with him, and we played a practice round with him. Tim introduced me. And those are the kind of things you don't forget, and those are the kind of things that make golf so interesting and so much fun for a young guy coming up through the ranks. I mean, I look at some of the the, the players that are coming through, and, I mean, they. I, I just wish that Jordan Spieth would have played with Crenshaw and Kite and would have played with some of these great wind players from Texas because Jordan Speed probably wouldn't have the trouble he's having today uh, with such a weak grip and with such an inconsistent type golf swing. And so I, I think, you know, you learn a lot from guys that have really been around the block a time or two. And uh, so, anyways, I loved the tour when I was there, and uh, I have great fond memories of it, too. Great for me. So – to reflect on a couple of things that you, you just shared, and let's start with the last one first. Is that what, in your opinion, Jordan needs? Does he need a Crenshaw or a Kite to pull him aside, kind of like the the legends that you spoke about pulled you aside and said, you know, hey, you need to change your grip. Hey, you need to do this differently. Does he need that kind of voice in order to kind of get things back uh, where they were a few years ago? Well, one thing's for certain. If you, if you have a Tom Kite, or even a Crenshaw, maybe not so much Crenshaw. He's kind of a field player, but like even myself, when I look at the, the type grip he's playing and the rotation of his arms and realizing that, you know, you start rolling those arms to the degree that they do and they're trying to return that club face square within one or two degrees of accuracy, it's a very difficult game. It's the same as like some of all these young kids, whether it's Morikawa or um, – you know, Dustin Johnson, these guys that, that really bow that left wrist, if they have a weak grip and they're bowing it and they're going down, they they end up being like Trevino, you know, with back trouble, real serious back trouble in their 30s and 40s. And uh, you can already see it with, with DJ and some of the young kids. They're, 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 they're pulling out for back trouble, you know, because you start dropping that head five and five to eight inches, it's a tough game. And uh, clearly, they have to play fades. Fades are their best shots. But what, with, when guys have experience, 
you know, they, they like Tom Kite tried, probably tried everything in the book. And uh, I, I spoke with him, and he said, Chip, normally you never get out of Texas with a weak grip because you play in so much wind. And how can you hit a 200-yard shot, you know, 210, 220-yard shot straight with a lot of authority on it without curvature with a weak grip? You can't hardly do it. So, you know, the guys that have played a long time, I mean, you, you study the game 50 years like I have, you realize that they're, uh, you can see a lot of the weaknesses in what these kids do, but also – you can see the gift in what they do as well. So, if, like, if you can learn from, like, a Trevino, I mean, it's – I remember him teaching me. I was in Phoenix. I was in a pot bunker, and the ground was so hard, and I got plugged right in the middle of this bunker. We're playing a practice round. And that day in particular, I said, Lee, man, why do you hit it so easy? I said, you just bunt it around. He said, Chip, it's only Tuesday, man. I, I want to be have all my energy for Sunday. That was one thing he said, and he just laughed about it. But then I got in the bunker plug in a pot bunker. I couldn't get out. He said, Chip, you got to take that thing straight up, right over your shoulder, knock it down. The steeper you are with it, the higher it'll come out. And I couldn't get out. Kept popping it in the lip. And he got down in there. Let me show you, boy. He showed me how to do it, and he lifted out two times in a row. I said, man, Lee, that's, a, that's impressive. Because I was a good bunker player because I grew up in North Carolina on a Donald Roscoff course with a lot of deep bunkers. But this was unique. I'd never been in such hard pan. And he said, you drive that ball down into the turf, and it comes straight up at the same angle that you approached it on. I said, wow. So they, they those guys teach you a lot, you know. And uh, so, yeah, I, I think that, uh, yeah, those young kids could learn a lot from the older guys just playing with them. Like I've never seen Seve Ballesteros make two double bogeys and win the TPC or win any tournament, like, you know, Jason Day did to win the TPC. That's how good he is. But he's got, you know, chips straight downhill out of the rough to the water, and he, he has to he leaves it short of green and chips it up there and makes a double at 16. He did that a couple other times, you know, and it's like, wow, I, I would never see Seve do that. They just they just blow it up in the air. And, um, it, you know, he'd have, it would be an easy shot for him because of the technique that he used. And, and, you know, I think even Ricky Fowler, when you see where he just turns the face to the right and swipes across it trying to, you know, he doesn't use the whole face, the whole golf club. And so he leaves it in the bunker. He's lost about three majors. You know, he's the type of kid that's so talented. He'll, he'll leave it short and rough and then chip it in on the next one. But I, I just never saw great wedge chip player, chippers like Seve do that. He, he never double chips. So, Anyways, that's the kind of thing you learn from the veterans, I think. Chip, just a couple more before I let you go. And um, I had the pleasure of having Dr. Jim Suddy on the show earlier this year. I know he's played a big role in your career. Talk about how he helped you with your game. Jim Suddy is the best teacher that I'd ever, I've ever seen. If I'd have met Jim when I was a young kid, there's no telling what I could have done. He was actually the first teacher that actually taught me and not learned with me. He just, he, he's done more empirical research than anybody in the history of the game. And he, he's a genius. He's like a Carson Solheim in his craft. They're called mainline geniuses. They are, they're smart. They're brilliant in their craft. And so he's changed the way they're teaching. They're teaching body types a lot because of Jim Suddy. But he, he was never guessing 
I'll never forget the first time I saw him. I, I figured out my, my career was over. And I, I, this, this 80-year-old guy sent me a tape that Doc Suddy put together for me because he asked him to. And I went down to Australia and finished 15th, my first good tournament in about four years. And I said, gosh, if he's that good, I better go see him. So I went to see him. And uh, at that time, I was getting up there in age. I, I started to play the nationwide tour at the time. I was playing seven events. I was selling insurance because I had still six kids to put through college. But Jim Suddy, the first day I saw him, he said, hey, Chip, you can play from now until eternity with your fast hips and your long arm swing. You will never square the face. And I said, Jim, Dr. Suddy, say that again. What? And he said, Chip, you could play from now until eternity with your fast hips and long arm swing. You'll never time your swing. Never square the face. I said, wow. And that's when I knew I was going to get better. So he gave me a chance to get my game back and play the Champions Tour, which I'm so appreciative of. But also, he gave me the opportunity to really understand the golf swing like I'd never understood before. So after teaching with him and being involved with him, trying to work out my own game, and I, w I would help teach his short game clinics, and I would teach him. I would, he would watch me teach some of his students. So I really became very, he was like a dad to me. And I always appreciated how much I learned from him and how kind he's always been to me. But, yeah, I, if, if somebody's really serious about becoming a, a great golfer and they, they want to get there quicker than anybody, that, that's who they need to see. Jim Suddy's a genius, no question about it. And, Chip, now you're doing some work with the Perfect Motion Game Improvement app. Talk about what that is and how it can help us. Well, what it is, it's, it's really personalized training. It's a system put together by Rich Kozowski up in Boston. He's got two, two degrees from MIT and Harvard Baker Scholar. These guys, he's a data scientist. So it's really a data science company. And they, they can help you groove your technique and make adjustments because it's instant feedback. And through the trial and error of the system that they put together, they will show you what you're doing with your golf swing. And you can have your coach or a, a expert guidance on each and every shot. And it works really good with the putting, the chipping, long game, every part of the game. It's, it's the most amazing thing I've seen. I think it's the wave of the future. It's, uh, it's, it's the only company that's using artificial intelligence you know, to to tell people what their strengths and weaknesses are, and it picks a fault. It can pick 18 different faults, and it prioritizes those faults in a way that it's easier to teach people because the naked eye can't pick up what they talk about. So, for instance, the data has shown that one of the biggest predeterminant of good solid golf shots and compression and lag in a golf swing is side bend. And so this uh, app, you just put your, your phone on the ground, you angle it up towards you, and it can determine side bend. For $6 a month, it's like it's the most amazing thing. You'd have to spend $10,000 before this app to find out what side bend really means. And then I'm also giving my, my, my son-in-law a lesson. He's playing so poorly, and I'm thinking, man, it looks like he's just backing up. And then when I, I said, Matt, you need to go on the, on the Perfect Motion app and get a, I want to see what you're doing. And sure enough, he was in front of his address position at impact. And then he was also had a negative left side bend. So it's like 
I could not pick that up because he swings so fast and moves so fast because he's 6'3", and he had a weak grip to start, and he was just a thrower. And uh, so there was no loading. There was no uh, – the pivot needed work. So I started working with him on that. And I, I tell you what, there's no way the naked eye could see what the app can pick up. So it's a it's an amazing it's an amazing tool. Plus, I've been able to forge really strong relationships with my students. I had one call me today from New York. He said, "Chip, I finished fifth in the in a Met section tournament, amateur tournament, one of our big events." And he said, "I three putted, and I uh, they were playing Somerset Hills in New Jersey, which is a really tough golf course. It's a tilling house." And I said, "Did you get a practice round?" He said, "I didn't." I said, well, no wonder. You know, I said, you're going to three-putt. You're going to have some trouble up there. Everybody needs a, a practice round at Somerset Hills. It's a really tough golf course. But, he, you know, he finished three shots out of the lead, and he was a little disappointed. I said, you know what, That's to me, that's a really significant improvement, to not play your best, to be working full-time, and then finish fifth. That's a strong – you should feel really good about it. And so he was telling me a little bit about his round. So anyways, I've developed such nice relationships with people, and I've been able to do it in a way that they really, uh, they tell their friends, and I'm growing my, my teaching, and I don't even have a, a club that I'm actually playing at right now. I'm actually in North Carolina uh, helping my mother right now get healthy. So perfect motion, it really combines the biomechanics, the physics, the data sciences, science in such a way that there's nothing on it. Like it in like it in the market. Period. It's great. So, Chip, how can our listeners download the app, find out more information about that, and also stay up to date with all the great things that you're doing, whether it's following you online or it's on social media? You know, I have a website. I actually, my wife and I started the Chip Beck Fifty Nine Club. You can join that at Chip Beck Fifty Nine, and. Um, which, you know, and I can start teaching you, but also just go to the Apple Store or go to perfectmotion.io and you can look at the website. You can download the app there and, you know, just start taking swings. You don't need to have a club in your hand. You don't need a ball. You can do it anywhere you want to do it. And One of the nice things, you can take it to the gym and, and there are different types of motion, uh, you know, physical activities that can really help you get better away from the golf course. And then also you can take it to the range. You basically take it anywhere you want. And so it's a wonderful way to get better and to develop the right feel for changes in your golf swing. So that's where you go. Just go to perfectmotion.io and check it out. I think you'd really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. Plus you can pick any coach you want. It's kind of cool. Well, Chip, it has been a huge thrill having you as part of the show tonight. I hope you'll come back and join me again sometime. It's been a lot of fun having you here. Oh, you know what? I really have enjoyed it, and I, I look forward to meeting you, and actually it would be great to come back, and uh, maybe inter you can interview one of my students at that time. That's that's really won maybe the Met section or won some big tournament, right? <laughs> That'd yeah, be fun. absolutely. Love to do it. Chip, so thanks take for care. having me. I really appreciate it, Chris. Absolutely. Stay safe and all the best to you and your family, Chip. Yeah, God bless you. Thank you now. All right. Take care, Chip. That's a great Chip Beck and uh, so much more to get into with him. I hope we have the uh, privilege of having him back on sometime. He's 
you know, played in a bunch of majors, wanted to hear some of those stories and uh, some of the other, you know, from some of his other victories and that sort of thing. And, and then maybe a little bit more about his time at the University of Georgia. Tremendous career and uh, a lot of great stories and love to talk about the legends that uh, pulled him aside and gave him some tips. Those are fantastic. Want to hear a, a few more of those. Again, hopefully we get the opportunity to have him back on again real soon. All right, before I get to my next guest, Ralph Keppel, I want to give a shout out to a couple of our sponsors, starting with our friends over at Finn Cycles. It's time to rethink golf. The game is at a tipping point. The young people we need in the game don't have four and a half hours to spend out on the course. Pairing Finn Cycles with a desire to play ready golf can cut playing time in half because all golfers go directly to their own golf ball. Plus, it's tons of fun. Go online to finscooters.com and click on Find a Finn for a course that has them near you. I also want to give another shout-out to our friends over at the McLemore. The McLemore Mountaintop community rests atop the highlands of Lookout Mountain, Georgia, overlooking historic McLemore Cove and Pigeon Mountain. Surrounded on all sides by state and national parks, historic land districts, and private land trusts. The resort features an 18-hole Reese Jones and Bill Bergen championship course, a gated residential community, and a planned clubhouse opening in the fall of 2020, plus planned hotel and conference center. The dramatic 18-hole course is made up of a variety of golf experiences, combining canyon holes, highland holes, cliff edge holes, that are well-suited for the beginning golfer as well as the senior player. McLemore also offers a wonderful six-hole short course called the Karen, Designed by Bill Bergen, the Cairn provides players with a short warm-up or cool-down before or after a round, or a relaxing way to improve one's game with family and friends. McLemore is located a short driving distance from Atlanta, Nashville, Knoxville, Birmingham, and Huntsville, and just 35 minutes from downtown Chattanooga, voted number one best town in America two years in a row by Outside Magazine. While a private course, McLemore offers stay-and-play packages for guests in club-managed properties, as well as a number of membership opportunities, including social memberships, non-resident memberships, and corporate memberships as well. For more information, please visit McLemore online at themclemore.com or give them a call at 800-329-8154. All right, now back in making his second appearance with me here on Next on the T is Eastlake Golf Club's Director of Agronomy, Ralph Keppel. Ralph has been at Eastlake for nearly 30 years. He was the golf course superintendent for 26 of those years. As you all know, Eastlake Golf Club is here in Atlanta and is the home of the PGA Tour Championship. And if you're a fan of Bobby Jones and appreciate what he meant to the game, you know Eastlake is also the course he grew up playing on. Ralph graduated from Ohio State University with his degree in agronomy and turfgrass management. He was a Georgia Turfgrass Association Professional of the Year back in 2000. He was a finalist for TurfNet Superintendent of the Year in 2007, and he was the 2012 Golf Course Superintendent of the Year. Folks, I've said this on the show many times. I was privileged to play East Lake once. It's the best golf experience I've ever had, and the course is just absolutely tremendous. And I'm very excited to have Ralph back again with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Ralph, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So Ralph, we're we're about a month past this year's tournament. Is is this the time of year that you get to exhale and relax a little bit, or is there no let up when you're in charge of a golf course like East Lake? I don't think there's a let up when you're in charge of any golf course anymore. But um, this year was a little bit of a breather because without spectators, we didn't have all the hospitality built out, so there was 
not a whole lot going on after the tournament. Everything was cleared out in a week instead of uh, eight to ten weeks. So to that end, right, without uh, spectators on the golf course, does that make it a little bit easier to take care of the golf course during tournament week? You don't have to deal with a lot of the folks and trampling things down, or or are the are the spectators so far off of where you need them to be? It it, uh, it really didn't make a difference outside of the hospitality stuff. Uh, without a doubt, it makes it easier because we didn't have to, you know, we didn't have to try and get out of certain parts of the golf course when the gates were getting ready to open. We didn't have to kind of work our way through the crowds when we we're going from the front nine to the back nine. Um, it definitely made it easier for us. Um, but the easiest part of all is not having as much damage done to the golf course from the hospitality. And uh, we aren't going to have to sod anything this year, which is kind of like a vacation in and of itself. And Ralph, typically this time of year, you guys have a couple of other tournaments. You got the East Lake Invitational Tournament and the East Lake Cup. Uh, where you ho- where you guys uh, typically host the top men's and women's uh, college teams. Are you guys doing those tournaments this year? We are not going to do the East Lake Invitational this year due to the COVID uh, restrictions, but we are going to have the East Lake Cup, um, and it's it's going to be uh, no spectators, from what I understand. There's some final decisions to be made on everything. It's still going to be televised on Golf Channel. Um, the instead of having the top four teams from the NCAAs because they never played the NCAA last spring, they, they started off trying to get the top four ranked teams at the, at the time the season ended last year. Um, certain teams are not playing still. Um, Wake Forest girls, for instance, aren't playing this fall. So they, they were, I think were ranked number one at the end of the season last year. So Maybe um, shuffle some things around, but they still have eight great teams coming for four women's and four men's teams. And Ralph, during the uh, the tour championship, are the are the players seeking you out for you know for advice on you know how to play the golf course? Maybe some of the subtleties of the green, maybe some strategy type questions. Do you have the same guys kind of coming? and kind of get in your ear to try to get a little extra, maybe a little step up on the, uh, on the other players. I have, I can honestly say I've never had that happen. <laughs> it'd be, really? it'd be kind of fun if they did, but no, I've never had a player come in and ask anything like that. Maybe they've seen me play. <laughs> so this time of year, are you, are you overseeding? The course, how do you keep the course in such great condition as we head into the fall? Uh, we we just overseeded our par three tees and our range tee, but that's all we do. Um, our fairways are zoysia grass, and they stay green for uh, usually anywhere from, from eight to ten months of the, of the year. Uh, and even when they're dormant, they're a different kind of golden color versus the Bermuda, so they still stand out so that we don't we don't need to worry about those. Um, tees, we, we, we get enough play that we, we get a little bit of wear on the tees, but the par three tees are the only ones we really kind of need to overseed. It gives us the opportunity to fill divots and get grass back in them. But other than that, um, you know, we're, we're just trying to follow the weather and, you know, hopefully we, we slowed down on the rain because it was a pretty difficult summer. Um, but this past month has been great. And speaking of the weather, and Ralph, I think you might be one of the 
the best authorities to help us all understand how different a Masters is going to be this year with respect to course conditions and the temperatures. How, how different does East Lake and do you expect Augusta National to play in November uh, versus what we typically see in April? Is that is the is the the cold temperatures going to make it harder, longer? What are your thoughts? Well, I don't, I don't. The temperatures will be a little bit colder, so I'm sure it'll play a bit longer. It just depends on how much rain we get. In November, I don't think we're going to see the same kind of um, evaporation occur. So if, it, if the course gets wet, I think it's going to stay wet longer. So again, it would play a little bit longer. But I think the ryegrass is going to be much more immature than normal, and I'm curious to see how it's going to look. I know they're expecting the Bermuda grass to still have a little bit of color to it. So anywhere the the rye grass is a little bit thin, it's not going to really show. It's still going to look like Augusta, maybe not quite as dark green as we're used to. Um, I'm kind of curious to see it myself, um, but I think it's going to play maybe a little bit longer, but I don't think much more different. Uh, I think the greens will be exactly the same. And Ralph, you mentioned rain. I remember back in 2009, we had, I don't know, 12, 13 inches of rain just prior to yeah. the, the tournament. And I remember local news channels showing the entire golf course there at East Lake being underwater. Take me through how you guys were able to get that taken care of and actually play the tournament. Well, um, fortunately, the course drains pretty well. Um, the property is, is like a big bowl. The East Lake is right in the middle. Uh, the clubhouse sits right, you know, right off the lake. Um, all that water ended up going into the lake and going over the spillways and draining downstream. Uh, but the big rain that really hit us was Monday afternoon. Uh, about 4 o'clock, I was in a meeting in the rules trailer with our tour agronomist, and we were actually discussing how we were going to prepare for the next few days with the rain. And the whole time we were in there, I didn't realize how hard it was raining. When we opened the door to come out of the meeting, the first fairway looked like a river. <laughs> and the trailer was sitting right along that first hole then, now number 10. Um, I don't think I'd ever seen that much water running across the golf course the way it was. And then we were in my truck. I was driving down the streets to go back to our shop, which is on the other side of the course. And every street coming towards the golf course looked like a raging river. And I could see the water was up over all the uh, the little spillways between ponds. And uh, it was pretty uh, pretty incredible. Um, you know, like I said, the course drained pretty well. We At that time, we had decided we were going to hold off on any, any practice rounds until at least noon on Tuesday. Uh, we had, I think at that time, we probably had 30 or so volunteers helping our staff and all we did for it seemed like the whole week was shovel bunkers back up because it just kept raining it was a, a miserable week and one of the things you you mentioned there and telling that story was the swapping of the nines what led to that why why did uh why was the decision made to flip the nines around the the, the pj tour wanted to have more what they called volatility on the back nine on the finishing round. So, or the finishing nine holes, 
And it felt like on the, the original nine, seven, eight, nine were three of the hardest holes on the golf course. So there was there's potential for somebody to have a bogey, not a whole lot of birdies. So they felt like there wasn't enough movement to keep excitement. So when they flipped the nines and we did a little bit of work to uh, the, the 18th hole, um, the idea was we would have a, a really difficult par four, the, the, what is now the sixth or the fifth hole, and then six is a hole where you know anything can happen. You can have a birdie, you can have a double. So there's you know potential for big movement there. And then 16 has turned out to be actually a birdie hole, which is shocking to me because for members it's a brutal hole. Uh, and eight and, and nine, or just, I gotta get them flipped again, don't I? <laughs> so yeah, I'm after 20 28 years, I struggle to get the numbers right. So 14, 15, 16. Is what I just described. Seventeen's a, a birdie hole in general for them, but eighteen they wanted a hole that anybody would be able to reach into, in order to have the potential to have an eagle to to tie, win, whatever. Um, but at the same time, and we saw it with Rory on Saturday, there's when you have the rough, good and difficult, things can happen. So sometimes the water comes into play, and that double bogey or that eagle turns into a double bogey. So Ralph, when when you're lying awake at night, what 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 keeps you awake worrying about the golf course? Is there something that you know you're you're sort of concerned about on a on a regular basis about the golf course, or is everything running pretty smooth and you, you can sleep soundly every night? Generally, I can sleep through anything. Uh, my wife thinks I'm a bit of a freak, but I get up at four in the morning, <laughs> so I'm usually tired when I go to bed. Um. I, it really depends on what's going on at the time. You know, tour championship this year, everything was was pretty good going into it. And then we actually had a, a disease come up on greens the weekend prior, and that had me concerned. And I didn't say I wouldn't say I lost a lot of sleep over it. We we got applications out and got it under control, but it was one of those things where it's, you know you can't control weather. And we had a lot of rain going into that event, a lot of cloudy days. Even though we were on a strong fungicide program, sometimes you just can't beat Mother Nature. And if I can't beat Mother Nature, what's the point of staying, staying awake worrying about it, right? <laughs> I'm still not going <laughs> to win. That's a good attitude. Yep. Ralph, just a couple more before I let you go. And, and when people mention the name Bobby Jones and uh, when that happens, all of our ears sort of perk up. And for our listeners who aren't familiar with Eastlake outside of knowing that that's where the Tour Championship is played, can you share – the history of the golf course and what has to be an awesome responsibility to maintain uh, the golf course that Bobby Jones grew up on. Sure. Um, Eastlake was the first, uh, first golf course in the city. Uh, it was chartered in 1904 as part of the Atlanta athletic club. It took them four years to build the entire 18 holes. Uh, I believe they opened nine holes in 1906, but the full opening was 1908. Um, original uh, architect was Tom Bendelow. The golf course was kind of rudimentary, and they, they decided they wanted to make some changes. So Donald Ross was brought in in 1913, I believe it was. Um, he made changes, and the golf course stayed like that until 1959. 
Um, they did some renovations with George Cobb in 59 for the Ryder Cup that was held there in 63. So um, Bobby Jones moved there when he was very young, I believe six years old, um, kind of to get out in the country at that time. It was out in the country and get fresh air. It's kind of funny when you think about it now because now we feel like we're in the middle of the city. Um, it was the last stop on the rail line and um you know he he and his father just and his mother moved out there he started watching Stuart Maiden play golf and started trying to copy him uh apparently he was pretty good at copying a swing because he was awfully good (laughs) to say the least Uh, there was a lot of great players in that time Uh, Alexa Sterling was was there at the same time and she's she won her share of U.S. women's amateurs and Canadian women's amateurs. Um, you know, it's, you could go on and on with the, the number of great golfers that came out of East Lake. And Ralph, you mentioned uh, a few moments ago about member play and, and uh, which holes are difficult for the members. I'm curious, uh, just in general, how differently does the golf course play every week for the members versus how it plays for the Tour Championship? Well, unfortunately, um, we have to start growing rough fairly early to start getting it ready for the tournament. And then when the tournament's over, we have to slowly bring it back down so we're not scalping it going into winter, which isn't good for the grass. So they get their fair share of playing it pretty difficult, uh, pretty difficult conditions with the rough. Uh, In the wintertime, certainly plays a lot easier. When the rough is not... um, you know, grabbing your club or the ball and settling down into it too badly. The golf course is pretty straightforward, um, and it can it can be had if you're hitting fairways, no matter what the rough's like. It's a very fair golf course. Um, the problem is most of us don't hit fairways that often, so <laughs> it gets to be a challenge. And it is uh, I've experienced that rough a little bit, and it is not fun. But the fairways are great. Ralph, before I let you go, um, you're an interesting follow. You've got a lot of great things that you're you're tweeting and retweeting about on Twitter. Let our listeners know how they can stay up to date and follow you on social media. Um, well, we've got uh, at East Lake Agronomy, which is um, basically we'll, we'll put out a lot of things that we're doing on the golf course on that Twitter handle, and I have my own. Um, which is at GCS. A lot of the times it's the same things, but sometimes I do my own stuff. And um, Generally I run both of them, but uh, I get some help with the agronomy one. So it isn't always the same. Well, Ralph, I appreciate you staying up late. You say you get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, so I know this is late for you. I appreciate you doing it and being uh, a part of the show tonight. Always interesting hearing uh, uh, from you and what's going on out at Le- out at East Lake. It is uh, it is certainly the jewel of uh, of the Atlanta golf courses, and like I say, it's I uh, had the uh, privilege of playing out there once, and it is absolutely the best golf experience I ever had. So I thank you very much for that. Well, we need to get you back out there, don't we? Uh, I'd love to do it. Trust me, you wouldn't have to twist <laughs> my arm, my friend. Okay. Well, I appreciate you having me. All right. Take care, Ralph. All the best to you and your family. Stay safe out there. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye.
see you, Ralph. That's the great Ralph Keppel, and uh, like I say, he's uh, he's got some interesting things that he's tweeting out there on uh, on Twitter. So at R Keppel, K E P P L E G C S is his uh, Twitter handle, so you can check him out there. And uh, at East Lake GC, so you can find uh, what's going on uh, for the East Lake uh, Golf Club itself, and then like you say, the agronomy site there as well. And I'm telling you, folks. East Lake, it's you know as as you can well imagine, right? Anything associated with Bobby Jones and the Tour Championship is going to be first class, and and Ralph does a great job handling that golf course and keeping it in tip top shape. But from the like I say, one time I got the opportunity to go out there, and I hope I get an opportunity to do it again. But from the moment you drive in to everything that they handle for you and leading leading you around the golf course, the caddies and and playing that golf course is just simply outstanding. It's a day that I will never forget. Uh, I've had uh, a lot of privileges to play a lot of golf courses. Um, none better than the experience of playing East Lake. And then going out there and just being out there for the Tour Championship. Unfortunately, obviously, with COVID, we didn't get an opportunity to do that this year. But uh, I do it every year, and I take my son, and we go out there, and we check it out. It's, uh, it's a beautiful golf course and a great tournament, and uh, kudos to Ralph and everybody out there for, uh, for the tournament and for the conditions of playing uh, just doesn't get any better. So really looking forward to hopefully, uh, hopefully getting uh, Ralph back on the show again and hearing uh, all the great things that they continue to do there. All right, folks, time for me to put a bow on this episode of next on the team. My sincere thanks go out to Tom Patry, Chip Beck and Ralph Keppel for joining me tonight. Please check out our website, nextonthetea.net, to keep up to date with what our guest schedule looks like. We're kind of winding down this season, so uh, about a handful of episodes left. Looking forward to next week when uh, I'll have two of the top instructors and two great friends of this show uh, uh, joining me with Rob Strano and Kelly Stenzel. Uh, and then John Goyne, who is the uh, head pro at, uh, used to be the head pro at TPC Southwind in Memphis, and now owns Timber Trust Golf Course in Olive Branch, Mississippi. Uh, it's uh, formerly known as a Plantation Golf Club, but he'll be joining me as well. So looking forward to those folks being on the show. You can stream the show as a podcast on a number of great sites, folks. You can find us on podcast.co, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Audioboom, Player.fm, Radio.com. If you've got a favorite podcasting site, we're on it. I can't thank you enough for choosing to listen to the show again tonight. We really appreciate the fact that you continue to make us part of your golfing content. Until next week, hit them straight, my friends.